Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hi there, I'm Randad Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, this is Michael Krasny. With everyone spending more time at home this year, many have turned to books for comfort, stimulation, or just to pass the time. Coming up on Forum, New York Times Book Review Editor Pamela Paul will join us to share her best books of 2020, and we'll hear from some local writers to get their recommendations. And we want to hear from you. What's the best book you read this year? You can give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook or at KQED Forum or email forum at kqed.org. Welcome to Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. As the winter solstice approaches, nights grow long and you're stuck at home because of the pandemic and it's a good time to curl up with a book. New York Times Book Review editor Pamela Paul joins us this hour to share her favorite books of 2020 and later in the hour we'll hear from some local authors to get their picks and open the phone lines for listener recommendations for a great read. And as usual, we will try to post all of these recommendations on our website so that you can avail yourself of them. And let me welcome Pamela Paul. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you. And I guess the place I'd like to begin with you is, uh, well, a sort of paradigm for many people uh, in terms of choosing a book. They often look at the bestseller lists. And I was curious to realize that Britt Bennett, uh, who wrote a book, uh, a novel, a really quite compelling novel about passing and who was part of the National Kidney Foundation Literary Lunch last week, uh, is number one on the San Francisco Chronicle list, and she's number 10 on the New York Times bestseller list. And this is kind of puzzling in some ways until I realized that the National Kidney Foundation Literary Luncheon buys a great number of books. But here's another thought, and I want to get your response to this. Many of the books, particularly on the New York Times list, are books that are what I would call fast-paced thrillers, mysteries, uh, page-turners. That seems to be dominant. Well, I think right, I mean, that's true always, Michael, but I think right now there is a longing to escape. And it's interesting um, during this period of uh, turmoil, of pandemic, of election time, people either seem to go in one of two directions. They either really want to engage with all of that through their reading or they want to escape. Um, And then there are, of course, those who want to do a little bit of each. Yeah, I was thinking it's just more of an escape time, this pandemic. People want to uh, really avail themselves of things that they can read late into the night and feel that they can't stop turning the pages. Well, one thing that was a bit surprising, um, although I guess when you think about it, it, it's... 
it's not that surprising. And it's definitely reassuring is that people did not want to escape from reading. Books did quite well in 2020. The publishing industry was strong. People obviously are, are holed up and they're not just watching TV. So book sales were actually quite strong um, in 2020. And particularly with nonfiction, um, I think that people really were looking to have that kind of sustained focus away perhaps from the swirling headlines. And please do support your local bookstores. They need it now more than ever. Uh, nonfiction right at the top, San Francisco Bay Area and New York Times, A Promised Land by Barack Obama. Not so surprising. There was really um, an excellent review, a lead review in New York Times book section um, by a Nigerian writer. Yes, uh, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie reviewed the book for us, which was really exciting because as a matter of general policy, uh, she doesn't review. Um, and I asked her to, to review this book a long time ago. Some might find that it's surprising to have um, someone who is uh, not American um, and a novelist review this book. But the reason I thought that Chimamanda uh, made good sense for this, first of all, of course, she's just incredibly intelligent um, and informed and an excellent writer. Um, but I also think that Obama takes writing itself seriously. This is not just merely, you know, for the historical record, but he has shown through his first memoir, in particular, Dreams of My Father, that he is a real writer, that he thinks about the actual prose. And I thought that to have someone who really understands that, the sort of craft and the art of writing, review it on that level, on a literary level, made sense. But I also know that uh, Chimamanda uh, Ngozi Adichie is very well versed in American and international politics and obviously that's largely the subject matter of um, Obama's book so I thought she just did an incredible job it didn't surprise me um, but I and I think that I think that writer you know readers really appreciated um, hearing her take we of course also had one of our daily staff critics Jennifer Salai review the book for the daily section of the New York Times yeah I think uh, it's safe to say Barack Obama is not only a fine prose writer he's a fine stylist and he writes with a great deal of verve. Uh, I was also struck by a couple of things I saw coming out of the New York Times. Uh, you have Best Books of 2020 and uh, there's a podcast, in fact right at the top of that list was Carla Corneco via Vesciencio's uh, book The Undocumented Americans, but then there was another Best of 2020 with Lydia Millett's uh, book uh, Children's Bible at the top, followed by James McBride's. I, I don't know if this listing or order is significant, but it certainly struck me uh, and th there was a vast difference between the selections of one and the selections of another. Can you explain that? Um, sure. I think you're referring to, uh, with the, the undocumented Americans, those lists came from the staff critics of the New York Times, which um, they're currently Dwight Garner, Paul Sagal, and Jennifer Salai. And what the staff critics do is they select among the books that they themselves reviewed, um, which are the top 10. So each of them had a list of 10 books. The New York Times book review is different in that it's all of the editors of the book review selecting among all of the books that were assigned um, in the pages of the book review. So it's this is coming from the editors and it's the entire literary landscape, not just the books reviewed by an individual critic. So as you pointed out, um, the uh, Via Vencio, uh, Valencio book uh, did make uh, one of the critics' top lists, um, but it was not on the top 10 for the Sunday New York Times book review. 
Now, what do you say, Pamela, when somebody says to you, um, what book should I, of either of those lists, or particularly should I read, either fiction or nonfiction? So hard often to say, I would put this right at the top. I find it, find, frankly, vexing. Uh, well, you know, I, I should say the numbers are, the, the books are in no order. So it's not that something is necessarily at the top. What we do on the book review side is select five books of works of fiction and five works of nonfiction. Um, and so if you're asking me for my personal opinion, my favorites among those, I can give you the the, the titles. But of course, it's, a, you know, a very personal decision. Um, so perhaps better for me to address, let's, I could start with fiction, the books that I think will appeal to different kinds of readers so that people can figure out what works for them. Um, my personal favorite among the fiction uh, was uh, Ayad Akhtar's Homeland Elegies, which is, I think, a really brilliant uh, novel by Akhtar, who's more commonly known as a playwright. He won the, the Pulitzer Prize for um, one of his plays, and this is his second work of fiction. And what this book does is really look at the um, Muslim American and specifically Pakistani American experience um, through Ayad Akhtar's personal story. It kind of, there's a lot of memoir to it, but what I think he does is he really plays with the idea of what is truth and what is fiction something that he said he deliberately chose to do in what he sees as a reality TV era in which those things, unfortunately, are often really blurred um, in the eyes of readers and and listeners, frankly, and anyone uh, who's living in this country. Um, the other books that made the top 10 uh, fiction on uh, the, at the book review included a children's Bible by Lydia Millet, which is a really taught um, allegorical story. Um, it uh, sort of seems like uh, a kind of um, a, a adventure. There's um, It's an end of the world scenario. Um, and you come to realize that many of the things happening in the book are based on stories in the Bible. Um, and it's also really a story about climate change. It's a, a, um, a tale in which the children are wiser than the adults. Um, and of course, it's really, I, I think, a kind of uh, condemnation, really an accusation of, of Generation X and baby boomers who sort of frittered uh, the environment away while their children suffer the consequences. Um, and I'll just go quickly through the others. Um, James McBride's latest novel, Deacon King Kong, made our top 10 uh, best fiction. Uh, you know, James McBride is just incredible talent. Uh, this is a fun book. And for people who really feel like I just, you know, don't want to read something incredibly heavy. Um, he is such an entertaining writer. It's a mystery story. It's a crime novel. It's a sort of farcical look um, at at uh, urban life. He's also, um, if I may say so, a fun guy to talk to. We've had him on. The oh, my God. <laughs> He's the best. He's the best. Um, the uh, the fourth book is um, Hamnet, um, a novel of the plague by Maggie O'Farrell. And it's one of two books on, on the New York Times Book Review's 10 best that really is about Shakespeare. This is a kind of, uh, it's really the, the novel, a novel about grief and, and loss. It's about the death of Shakespeare's 11-year-old son, Hamnet, um, which may have inspired the play Hamlet, which was written only a few years later. But it's really seen through um, Shakespeare's wife, who in this book is called Agnes. Um, um, and then the last book is one you mentioned earlier on, which is The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. And this is a book that um, appealed to me, certainly because it's a story, as you mentioned, of passing. It's also the story of twins, of separated twins in this case. And I will read anything on that topic. Um, she looks at twin sisters, one of whom um, decides to pass as white while the other continues as black. They're both uh, light-skinned uh, blacks. And it's a kind of period piece that and, and a divided narrative because then 
then Bennett looks at the lives of their two respective daughters as well. It's Jim Crow, Louisiana, and it's it's powerful. Uh, it's really a very engaging novel, to be sure. We're talking, by the way, with uh, Pamela Paul, and Pamela Paul's the editor of New York Times Book Review, also co-author of a book we featured on Forum called How to Raise a Reader. Uh, in fact, as long as we're talking about the New York Times for just a moment, I wanted to mention a friend sent me a gift uh, last week about everybody knows who listens to this program that I'm a major dog lover. It's dogs from the archives of the New York Times between 1854 and 1964. And it's a lot of fun because you get a good sense of stories that, well, have to do with weird things that happen with dogs, but also heroic things and remarkable types of things. And let me put a plug in also for Scott James, who writes for the New York Times, who's located here in San Francisco, who wrote a book called Trial by Fire, all about a Providence fire in a station nightclub that wasn't solved for about 15 years. And you can add your voice here. Again, we'd like to hear your recommendations. And uh, let me just, before I go to listeners, ask about Anna Holmes, who does a heads-up piece for the New York Times, and, and find out um, about her role in terms of the Sunday columns and whatnot. Uh, she's uh, actually heads the Barack and Michelle Obama Higher Ground Group and recommends books that have to do essentially with, well, for the most part, with African-Americans. Uh, in the New York Times, this in this week's issue, she reviewed three books about race and relationships, which I think is 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 what you're referring to. That's what I'm referring to exactly. Yes, yes, yes. Um, one was so, by Jane Daly, for example, and um, one was by Rusty Hammond, uh, a Ruby Hammond. Right. Excuse me. Yeah. Yes, she reviewed White Fright: The Sexual Panic at the Heart of America's Racist History by Jane Daly. She reviewed White Tears, Brown Scars, How White Feminism Betrays Women of Color by Ruby Hamad, and Black Women, Black Love, America's War on African-American Marriage by Diane Stewart. You know, I think these three books um, are indicative of um, and, and, and really an indication of more to come on um, the lives of Black Americans and the issues of race in this country when the um, you know, George Floyd murder uh, happened, uh, took place this summer, and people really turned to books to kind of get answers around race. There were a lot of books, you know, most of the books that sort of hit the bestseller list around that time had been previously published. Um, Come on, gotta break away. We'll be right back in a minute. Stay tuned. I'm Michael Kreisman. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. I'm Michael Krasny. We're talking about the best books of the year with you, our listeners, and with Pamela Paul, editor of the New York Times Book Review and co-author of How to Raise a Reader. Sorry, we had a break there, Pamela. You were talking, though, about uh, what we find in uh, Anna Holmes' column, uh, at least in the Sunday edition of the New York Times Book Review. Yes, um, I was saying that, you know, this summer, um, many readers were obviously turning to books around uh, race and racism in this country. And um, as it happened, there weren't a lot of new books at that 
moment, but luckily there were books that had been recently written. I think um, Ibram Kendry's uh, How to Be an Anti-Racist was one of the um, most uh, prominent ones that then sort of climbed back onto the bestseller list after, after having uh, disappeared for a while. It looks like 2021 is really going to change that. There's a number of new books coming out on this subject, and you can see, um, and certainly we see her at the New York Times looking at the trades, um, that uh, there are just new deals being signed every day um, looking at books on those subjects. So I think that readers will have a lot more to turn to in the next year or two. And we've indeed featured some of those writers, Isabel Wilkerson, the author of Cast, an excellent book, which certainly comes highly recommended by yours truly. And Eddie Glaude's book, Begin Again, about James Waldman's America, which we also featured. Um, one of our producers, uh, Pamela, feels that maybe there isn't enough attention given in the New York Times book review to Latino writers. You might want to address that, but she particularly recommended a book called Children of the Land by Marcelo Hernandez Castillo, which is again about undocumented. It's, uh, it's, it's a poet, in fact, who is uh, undocumented, who has written that memoir. And she mentioned Aida Salazar, a middle grade novelist, a novelist about middle who writes for the middle grades, who I'm sure you're familiar with. I don't know, what about that sense of coverage, for example, of Latino writers? Well, you know, the New York Times, um, you know, we're a journalistic organization. We are not creating the books or signing the books. We're seeing what comes from the publishing industry. So in large part, our coverage reflects what's happening in the industry. But we certainly do cover books by uh, Latinx writers when, when they cross our desk. And there were a number of them on our notable list, as well as on the list of notable children's books of 2020. Let me... Uh... Remind listeners that we are talking with Pamela Paul, editor of the New York Times Book Review, and we're getting a number of recommendations from listeners. Let me give you some samplings. This is Daphne who says, This is Happiness by Neil Williams, a wonderful book that will stay with you long after you finish reading it. The story unfolds in a small town in Ireland on the cusp of electrification and the changes that will bring. It starts out slowly and draws the reader into the lives and loves of its memorable characters. Recommendation from Joan, who says, Codename Helene by Ariel Lawton, uh, about Nancy Wake, a remarkable woman who was a leader in the French resistance during World War II. Stories of strong people resisting fascism resonate this year. And Sherry writes, um, I was mesmerized by Breath by James Nestor. It's so informative about something you felt you knew everything about. It can heal and improve your life. A tweet from Kristen who says, I read the entire Wolf Hall trilogy in quarantine this year, The Mirror and the Light, which is the third book, took a few months, but was well worth the intellectual effort. I also enjoyed The Vanishing Half and The Mercies this year. In fact, I noticed in, sun, in, in the Sunday book section, Pamela, there was a review of uh, Hilary Mantel's essays. Uh, yes, Hilary Mantel came out with a collection of essays um, in the sort of in the fall, um, which we had a review of by um, Fernanda Eberstadt. You know, I want to add um, some recommendations, some thoughts for people that might be looking um, for uh, a little bit of escapism, just to go back to the thrillers that you brought up at the top of, uh, of our conversation, because, you know, now is the time where people are kind of thinking about books as gifts. And um, while there have been a number of books on really serious topics, sometimes people don't want to necessarily give uh, those books as uh, presents around the holidays. So I just want to mention a few that made um, our uh, sort of top uh, books of the year. One was Blacktop Wasteland by um, S.A. Uh, Cosby, um, which was a first novel, really great um, kind of uh, gritty rural thriller. Um, Dear Child by Romy Hausman was a pick by um, our editor 
Senator Elizabeth Egan for her group text uh, book club. And that's a kind of kidnapping saga that uh, is just a real page turner. Um, Tana French had a new standalone novel this year, The Trespasser, which is really great for people who are considering starting on uh, the excellent Irish American um, authors uh, series. This one's not part of her of her um, Dublin Murder Squad series, but a standalone. So it's a good way to start. And then Lawrence Wright um, had amazingly a pandemic thriller, The End of October, which came out right at the beginning of uh, the, the pandemic this spring. And let me read a few more emails that are coming in. Martha says, if you thought A Promised Land is great in print, hearing the president read it on Audible with all the appropriate emotions of lived experience really brings it home. Shanna writes the book Trial by Fire, a devastating tragedy. That's the one I mentioned earlier by Scott James, who writes for the New York Times. And Shanna tweets, it's a page turner. It's getting rave reviews. Another tweet from Noel who says, Failure to Appear, Resistance, Identity, and Loss by Emily L. Quint Freeman is a beautifully written memoir by a 1960s activist who was involved in draft card office break-ins, was convicted, and went on the run for 25 years. The book is also about claiming her lesbian identity, coming to terms with her family of origin, and finally reaching out to her parents who helped her come out of hiding and turn herself in. I couldn't put it down. And speaking of books of the 60s, uh, many of you heard the interview I did last week with Aaron Sorkin. There's a book out by, we, we spoke about Bobby Seale being brought in the trial of the Chicago 7 with a gag in his mouth and uh, bound and tied. Uh, there's a book out now by Bobby Seale called Seize the Time and a number of books about the Black Panther Party, which I wanted to bring to your attention. We'll bring more to your attention with Vanessa Waugh, who's joining us. And Vanessa Waugh is going to give us a little... Uh, uh, insight into what's uh, in front of us in terms of local books. Uh, she's a columnist with the San Francisco Chronicle, and her book of short stories is called Deceit and Other Possibilities, and she's also author of a novel called The River of Stars, and welcome, Vanessa Waugh. Thanks for having me on. Glad to have you on. What's at the top of your list now for people to read? Uh, well, I've been uh, raving about Charles Yu's Interior Chinatown, um, which also deals with race, uh, subverting stereotypes, the model minority stereotype. And uh, since he's a screenwriter himself, he really it, it's a novel in the form of uh, a screenplay. So he really knows how to play um, with the stereotypes. Um, locally, Leslie Tenorio's son, The Son of Good Fortune, um, is hilarious, poignant. It's about um, an undocumented Filipino mother and son. The mom is a former action star, um, and he's trying to make his way in the world after he turns um, 18. So that was very sweet, and I love that. Um, an another novel, um, which I love, is um, Juliana Delgado Lopera's Tropical Fiebre. Uh, it's a coming, a queer coming of age story, very voicey, lots of Spanglish, and just just a lot of fun. And any of those right at the top of the list, Vanessa? Oh, um, I, it's it's like it's I'm trying to say which is my you know favorite child, but um, maybe maybe I'll say Interior Chinatown. Okay, I don't mean to put you on the spot with that because I as I've said before, it's hard when there are really a lot of good books out there to pick one that you think is right at the top, but that's what book reviews are for, and that's what we're trying to recommend in the way that people should select books and really read the best books you can. There's This is the time to do that, and this is a time, obviously, when you want to, as I said earlier, sort of curl up as best you can to forget about this plague that we're in. Um, and by the way, The Plague by Albert Camus is a book well worth reading now, unfortunately. Uh, here's James who tweets, Hiding in Plain Sight, The Invention of Donald Trump and the Erosion of America by Sarah Kenzazor got me through 2020. 
Sandy writes, I read Leave the World Behind by Ruman Ulam. In one day, I couldn't put it down. And again, uh, we keep hearing this notion, uh, I'll go back to you on this, Pamela Paul, of books that you can't put down. Um, well, I, I'm going to once again, uh, I want to actually endorse uh, Vanessa Hua's recommendation of Interior Chinatown by Charles Yu, which won the National Book Award for fiction this year. One of the things I loved about this book is that it takes um, the form of a screenplay. Um, it's, you know, as, as Vanessa said, it's about an actor and, um, and it's written in the form of a screenplay, uh, which sort of sounds like, um, I don't know, a stunt, but really does not read that way. Um, and another award winner that I think people are really getting into, it's, it's not a cheerful story, but it's well worth it, is Shuggy Bane by Douglas Stewart, which won the Booker Prize and was also nominated uh, for the National Book Award in Fiction. Vanessa, you have some guilty pleasures? Uh, well, I don't, I don't know if I ever feel guilty about anything I read. <laughs> um, but I did, if you want uh, uh, to read a fun, dishy novel about wealthy, beautiful people getting their comeuppance, um, A.H. Kim's A Good Fortune, A Good, a good Family. Um, she's a local writer. Um, I, I think people, if you want a fun, dishy read, that's, that's sort of along those lines. And do you know, uh, Pamela, about this book that made uh, both bestseller lists by um, Klein, Ernest Klein? It's a science fiction book. The Ready Player Two. Yeah. Are you familiar with it? I'm not. I'm yes. Not. It's a sequel to Ready Player One, which was turned into a film. It's actually really popular among teenagers if you're uh, looking for uh, a book for teenagers. It wasn't written for them, um, but it's become incredibly popular and sort of takes place in the world of, of gaming. I actually have a few other recommendations in terms of nonfiction for, for that kind of deep dive Um question that you were you were asking earlier which is if you're looking for gifts that uh on the nonfiction side that are kind of deep reads i would definitely recommend the dead are rising which is the new biography of malcolm x it was begun by les Payne, who died before could he could finish it and his daughter tamara Payne finished uh that book so that is a really good in-depth biography of malcolm x and for biography lovers and i know a lot of people often look for these books for dad or grandpa or mom, um, three others I would recommend. There's a new biography, a one volume biography of Eleanor Roosevelt by um, David Michaelis. Of course, people are familiar with Blanche Wyeson Cook's three volume um, biography of Eleanor, but this is in one book, which makes things a little bit less daunting. And then there are two new biographies of um, the Kennedy brothers that um, are both uh, really good, uh, Catching the Wind, which is about Ted Kennedy by Neil Gabler, and then a biography of JFK by Frederick uh, Logoval. And that was reviewed by our David Kennedy, who, of course, is right here in uh, the Bay Area as a Stanford professor, historian. There was also a review in the, uh, in the Sunday paper, uh, excuse me, in the Sunday Times uh, book review section of uh, David Sedaris's new book. He's a big favorite among NPR listeners, and it was by Andrew Sean Geerer, uh, who had for a while been here in the Bay Area as a novelist and uh, who really, I felt that review, I, mean, I, I like Andrew's work, but I felt, you know, it would be a lot easier to read a review like that if you're familiar with almost all of Sedaris's work. You have those reviews that kind of take the whole canon or the oeuvre, you know, and try to put, pinpoint as much as they can the general. And his daughter Tamara. 
Um, well, I uh, love uh, Andrew Schoenker's uh, fiction. I would actually recommend his uh, most recent novel, which won the Pulitzer. If you haven't read it already, it feels like everyone has read that, which is um, less. And then, of course, there is the... Um, uh, the David Sedaris collection, you know, it's interesting because that book is a best of collection. So I think a lot of listeners probably already had read a lot of it. But if you haven't, or even if you just want to revisit it, it's really interesting to see what, which, you know, essays Sedaris himself chose. And he did uh, collect them largely in chronological order. So you can also kind of see the way his, his process and his approach as a writer has shifted over time. And I want to go back to Vanessa Hua. Vanessa, um, let's just get another recommendation from you. Do you have, uh, I think, something to say about Bridget Quinn's book on? Uh, oh, yeah, definitely. I have women's uh, suffrage, I believe it is. Yeah. Yes, yes. I have a couple uh, nonfiction um, picks, but I loved Bridget Quinn's She Votes. It's how U.S. women won the suffrage. It's the 100th anniversary. So, as a part of it, it's um, 100 original pieces of art were commissioned beautiful pieces of art to go with it. Chronicle Books always does a fabulous job. And then it's just um, Bridget it, it, Quinn, it really, it's a really voicey conversational tour um, through sort of all the, the hidden stories of how um, you know US women got the right to vote. Um, I also love Bonnie Choi's Why We Swim. I'm, I'm, I love swimming myself. It's one of the things that's been keeping me sane. Um, and it's a real meditation and exploration of, of swimming. And um, I, I believe Green Ample Books actually, as part of their uh, store swag, now has swim caps. So you could sort of pair those two things together. Um, and I also love Roberto Lovato's Unforgetting. He's um, a Salvadoran American, born and raised in the mission. But it's really a father-son story. It's epic, yet intimate. And it's exploration of this sort of tortured history between both countries. Um, and and really one of uh, one of my favorites this year. Vanessa, thank you so much for joining us. Good to have thank you. Thank you. That's Vanessa Wa, who is columnist with the Chronicle, San Francisco Chronicle. Book of short stories is called The Seed and Other Possibilities, and she is also the author of the novel A River uh, of Stars. Let me bring a caller in. Lee, join us. Welcome. Yes. Hi. I'd like to recommend a uh, book that's published. Uh, it just came out by the Bay Area Travel Writers, a local San Francisco organization of professional travel writers. And during this time of uh, not being able to travel, uh, this is an anthology uh, where uh, writers have looked at all the trips they've taken uh, in the past and chosen the ones that they feel had the most effect, that, that filled them with a sense of wonder and change. And the title is Travel Stories of Wonder and Change. It's a paperback. And uh, I have to admit, I do have an article, yeah, a, a story uh, in the book, but uh, it's a wonderful book and makes great armchair travel. And I highly recommend it. All right. And I thank you for that recommendation. Good to hear from you. Let me hear from another caller. Krishna joins us next. Krishna, welcome. You're on the air. Hi. Hi. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I love this subject. Um, this year I've been reading a few books, uh, but currently I'm reading Frederick Douglass, Prophet of Freedom by David W. Blight, which was the winner of the Pulitzer Prize uh, in 2018. It's teaching me a lot. I'm an immigrant from India, lived in the U.S. for 30 years. 
but i'm learning now about what really happened during that time of you know the civil war and before that the slavery days but most importantly what i'm finding fascinating i'm in chapter 10 around now uh which is where he travels to ireland scotland and england and he's welcomed everywhere and uh, he's just not treated as a black person or and then in the us even in boston even in the free state uh he was uh, threatened attacked uh, some, some sometimes his life was in danger so it's just fascinating to know what was going on and uh, uh, i'm learning a lot you know i'm obviously sharing a lot with my friends as well the other couple of books i want to quickly give a plug to is a crack in creation by jennifer doudna who won the nobel prize along with emmanuel charpentier and of course i started with lincoln's biography by david herbert donald Thank you. All right, I thank you for those recommendations, Krishna. And the first book you mentioned was by Frederick Douglass, of course. And you can never go wrong reading Frederick Douglass. Uh, here's a listener who says in comments this morning about uh, John Le Carre's passing, several fans pointed out that he's a narrator of many, if not all, of his books. Readers of his work say that hearing him narrate a book you may have read is almost like experiencing a new book. My two cents, albeit secondhand, but timing seems right. Uh, coming up on a break here, just quickly, Pamela Paul. Uh, I read uh, Grisham's new book, A Time for Mercy, and just wondered what you thought of it. I once used uh, a novel of his in a graduate seminar in literature because I wanted my students to realize that commercial books are well-plotted, so-called commercial books. Uh, and I had one study with Walter Tevis, who wrote The Queen's Gambit, and he actually taught Tarzan of the Apes in an interpretation of fiction class. And so I'm wondering about this line or this binary that often people feel between, again, the commercial book that doesn't have, let's say, the literary weight or doesn't have the kind of uh, prestige or status that works of high literary canon value seem to have. You know, Michael, I think that those lines are really breaking down at this point. I think that, you know, in a way, the, the prejudices don't lie so much among writers anymore, um, if they ever did, or um, it may have been exaggerated, but there's an enormous amount of skill involved in writing good genre, whether it's science fiction or thrillers or procedurals, um, you know, that it, it not everyone can create character and plot um, at that level and, and sort of get people turning pages and write book after book at such a high you know, a fast pace. Um, so I think, frankly, a lot of literary writers uh, recognize that there are really um, strong skills involved in their um, both, you know, really. I'm sorry, hold that thought again, Pamela. We'll be right back. We've all got those parts of our house where the Internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. We're talking books, and Pamela Paul, editor of the New York Times Book Review, is with us, co-author of How to Raise a Reader. And uh, we were talking before we had to go to the break uh, about the differences breaking down, perhaps, between what was often seen as a real serious dichotomy between books that were much more viewed as commercial as opposed to the more literary books. And Pamela, you were opining. Please continue. Yeah, I mean, I do think, again, that uh, good genre is good writing, period, often. And um, and a lot of literary writers, I think, are incorporating many of the sort of um, tools of genre writing and aspects of it into their writing. Um, 
you know, earlier on, Vanessa Hua mentioned uh, Charles Yu. He certainly does that with his work. Um, Colson Whitehead plays around a lot with genre. Gary Steingart, you know, there are many literary writers who I think, um, you know, do this. And I think there, again, it, it, there isn't so much of a divide. I mean, Stephen King, for example, where would you put him? Obviously, he's a huge best-selling writer of, of genre, but he's also an excellent writer and sort of, you know, crafter of sentences. And he doesn't only write in one genre. So I think those lines are breaking down in a good way. It's good to hear. And speaking of genre, I want to bring Tanya Foster into this, who is a poet and who is the author of A Swarm of Bees in High Court. And listeners of the forum program know that I've always been very high on poetry and have taught it for many years. And I thought we'd hear from Tanya about poets who are worth reading. And Tanya, welcome to the program. Thank you. Excuse me. Thank you for having me this morning. I'm delighted to have you. And I should mention that Tanya is also endowed chair on poetry at San Francisco State and editor of the African-American Review. And let's talk about poets, particularly now, who are for you in the vanguard and, well, let's call them must-read poets. Well, there's so much incredible work happening. And one of the things I just wanted to preface the list of poets with is saying that we first had Shelley saying that poets are the unacknowledged legislators of the world. Oppen shifted that and said, poets are the legislators of the unacknowledged world. And I'd argue poets are the acknowledgers of unlegislated worlds and worlds rendered um, See, that's what a poet can do with language, is shift things around. That's very nicely is done. shift yeah. things around and how we think. And I've been really excited about Erica Hunt's Jump the Clock, her new and selected out from Nightboat Books. Hunt is a poet who spent some time, quite a bit of time actually, in the Bay Area, was a part of the language school po of poets. Um, and she, her Jump the Clock covers about three decades of her practice. And it's a pretty significant collection of poetry. Um, there's also Philip Meter's Shrapnel Maps, um, which kind of writes out of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, imagines the world of contact and relation and wounds. And it's both, it's been described as both elegiac and activist. Um, really a, a remarkable piece of work. And then there's also Natalie Diaz's post-colonial poem, um, a long meditation, certainly post-colonial love poem, a long meditation on love between people, between a person and land, between a people. Um, and of course, Don Miche's DMZ colony from Wave Books which weaves together oral history and memoir and translation and doodles and all kinds of things and, and is centered around the Korean demilitarized zone. And we're um, getting a listener recommendation right at the top here of the emails coming in. Jane Hirschfeld's latest volume of poems, Ledger, is extraordinary and a perfect answer <laughs> to our troubling times. And we do have, you know, real talent here in the Bay Area. Jane's been featured on Forum a number of times. We also have two former poet laureates, uh, Kay Ryan uh, and yes. Bob Haas, of course. And uh, uh, Tanya Foster doesn't take a backseat to anybody either. You know, I was looking at a video you did where you were talking about, uh, you're talking about Harlem, but also about uh, a, mind is, a mind is master, but the flesh 
is host and a mind is master and angels of incidents to shake a booty down. <laughs> in that compelling way of not only putting your verse into, let's say, the, uh, into the text on the page, but also bringing it out as you did in that video, um, the difference between sort of turning it into the spoken word. Uh, I would also mention, um, uh, do you have any thoughts about Louise Glicks and she just won the Nobel Prize? <laughs> well, I, I can say that as a young poet, I love Louise Gluck's work. I was troubled by her Nobel speech. I was too. Um, it was it was really very uh, disturbing. I didn't know what to make of it, frankly. Well, it, it strikes me that the white racial imaginary um, is kind of always present, and that one of the things that this year certainly makes clear is that there is no unraced imaginary space in the English language, right? Well and that yeah. if we're honest in, in, in contending with that, um, it kind of means that we can't write about trees, as Morrison points out, you can't help but see the blood and the bodies as well as the beauty. Mm. Since you mentioned Morrison, I'm wondering if there are any African women poets that we should know about in addition to you and uh, whomever else you've mentioned. Uh, I'm thinking of Lucille Clifton and Audre Lorde, uh, writers oh, God, who have been yes. very much Lucille in the Clifton. top of the hierarchy, Sonia Sand uh, Sanchez. Uh, who comes to your mind right off the top there? There are so there are so many amazing poets. Lillian Yvonne Bertram is writing now, Francine Harris. Um, of course, there's, there's also that beautiful memoir, beautiful and painful memoir um, by uh, for Natasha Trethaway that just came out. Um, there's um, a wonderful poet who was just published by, um, by uh, the local press, beautiful local press, um, This is Meta Sama hmm. has a new book um, or that came out last year. That's pretty incredible. Um, and a lot of talent out there. Then. <laughs> there is so no much. Dirt. No dirt. <laughs> There's so much. And there are so many uh, people of color, women of color. Karun Kapoor's new book, Women in the, in the Waiting Room. Um, they're just incredible. It, there's incredible work coming out from small presses. It's encouraging to know about. And uh, Tanya Foster, appreciate very much you being with us. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's Tanya Foster, poet and author of A Swarm of Bees in High Court. Uh, let me go back to Pamela Paul, editor of the New York Times Book Review. Poets, and particularly poets of color and small presses, uh, where do they come in? And your judgment. A few I would add um, to uh, to those recommendations would be uh, this is not strictly a work of poet poet poetry, but it is by um, a poet and does contain poetry. And that's Claudia Rankin's latest book, Just Us, An American Conversation, which combines visual art essays and poetry into, um, into one uh, very, uh, you know, slim volume. Uh, and that also made our 100 notable list. Um, another work of poetry that I thought was really excellent was the most recent collection. It's his third collection 
uh, Felon, which is by Reginald Dwayne Betts. And he does some really powerful things with his uh, with his poetry. He he sort of redacts various uh, sections. This part, this uh, collection is about um, his experience in prison and the aftermath of that experience. And another book that came out earlier in 2020 that won high praise from our critics was um, the collection uh, Homie by uh, Denez Smith that came out in January. Now, the first one you mentioned, Claudia Rankin's book, was featured on Forum. Uh, Mina Kim did the interview with her. And uh, Just Us comes from Richard Pryor, who said, if you're black and you want justice, uh, you go to the Hall of Justice, you find Just Us. Uh, you can join us. We invite you again to do that at 866-733-6786. Our next caller is Anne. Anne, you're on. Morning. Uh, hi. Uh, I think you may be talking to me. This is Anna from Vallejo. Um, I, first, I want to say thank you for taking my call. Um, I don't have anything terribly revolutionary to suggest. I recently just finished uh, Robert Reich's uh, The System, uh, Who Rigged It and How We Fix It, actually based on the conversation that you had on this show. And that's happened many times for me where I, I hear a conversation and then it kind of just changes my my outlook on life. Another example would be um, Janara Nirenberg, who wrote uh, Divergent Mind. I think she was interviewed by Mina Kim. And um, generally... I say thank you so much to Forum for these incredible discussions because I come from a home where self-actualization and learning and opinion were not things that were encouraged. And this show has helped me. I mean, this 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 particular episode I'm going to listen to later so I can write down all the books. Um, and if we're talking speculative fiction, it technically came out last year. But Andrew Adrian Tchaikovsky came out with a really cool series called uh, Children of Time and Children of Ruin. It's uh, sci-fi, and he uh, does this really interesting thing with animals. He tries to take the biological animals as they are now and think about them. What if, you know, thousands of years in the future, they became hyper-intelligent and formed their own societies? It's very interesting. Um, and again, just want to say thank you. Well, thank you, and thank you for those kind words. appreciate hearing from you. And you don't even have to write them down because it will be on our website at the end of the program. You can always go to kqed.org and find out what Books have been mentioned in the course of the hour. Let's go to Bill and find out what's on his mind as far as books. Bill, good morning. Hey, um, I, I mostly read fiction, um, but I have one book that I really like. I'm a geologist by education and practice, and there's a book that um, I, it's a general interest book that anybody could read. It kind of follows a, uh, if you were to fly from the Farallon Islands to the front range in, in Colorado, kind of goes through the geology of the whole Western United States, which is, is all intricately tied to itself. And it is a general interest book that somebody who, who's not a specialist could read and understand. And, and one of the things that's really, I think, fun about it is if you're traveling in the deserts of the Southwest or somewhere in Nevada, it gives GPS coordinates where you can go to specific locations and see faults and that sort of thing. It, yeah. I'm definitely a fiction reader, primarily a fiction reader, but I, I think this is a book that anybody interested in natural history would enjoy. Well, thank you, and thank you for being a fiction reader. Um, <laughs> you get the sense sometimes, Pamela, that uh, fiction reading, despite what we said earlier about the kind of books that people want to read now in this pandemic, that uh, fiction reading for folks like us is uh, not necessarily a lost art, but certainly under some kind of diminution. 
You know, I, I don't think so. I think what has been hard, though, you know, you mentioned earlier that uh, bookstores are struggling. One of the things that bookstores do so well is they, you know, they, they're sort of really good hand sellers of, of books. And that's helpful for debut writers in particular, you know, for the people who are not the John Grissoms or the Stephen Kings or the Tana Frenches, um, but for writers who may be new uh, to readers. And, and that's the kind of thing that I think has been very tough this year. Um, it's been really hard for uh, debut novelists to break out because they, you know, there, there isn't as much opportunity for discovery when you don't have a window display at your local bookstore or your favorite bookseller, you know, writing up their staff picks. And let me read some more emails coming in. Uh, this is from Quinn. It says, my 16-year-old son is reading Paranormal by Annie Jacobson. It's all about our government's experiments with all things psychic. He seems to like it. And Luna says, uh, Beyond Words, What Animals Think and Feel by Carol Sarafina. Another listener tweets, Kim Stanley Robinson's The Ministry for the Future is stunning. It crosses many categories and is timely, serious, thrilling, and escapist. And as long as this listener is tweeting about Kim Stanley Robinson, uh, let's talk about Marilyn Robinson with you, Pamela Paul. I noticed she was on that podcast list, and she is, well, it's another Gideon novel, an extraordinary fiction writer. Uh, yeah, she had a new book uh, called Jack, which was um, sort of an addition to her Gilead series that looked at um, the the couple Jack and Delia, um, Jack from the previous uh, the novels, um, and that came out this fall. We'll go to another caller. We welcome Neelish. Neelish, good morning. Hey, Michael. First of all, thank you so much for all your service. I'm really sad that you'll be retiring next year. Um, I just want to make sure that's accurate. But um, I have a recommendation for Everyone Brave is Forgiven by Chris Cleave. The novel is, I think, four years old, but um, it's set during the London Blitz. And as you can imagine, like it, I read it this year and it resonated deeply given what we're undergoing with the pandemic. What I love about it is that the um, characterizations are beautiful. The, the uh, dialogue reads like a Noel Coward play. It's so witty. It's so, so many Britishisms and witticisms. And... There also is a British take on racial politics, which I was very surprised and, I mean, pleasantly surprised by. And I think it's, it's a beautiful novel. I highly encourage everyone to read it. The prose is just exquisite. So that's my recommendation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the nice words, too. And since we're talking about the Blitz, let's mention Eric Larson, who was on Forum recently, The Splendid and the Vile, which is all about the Churchill family and the Blitz. And let's bring Deborah on as our next caller. Deborah, good morning. Hi. This is Deborah. Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Oh, great. Uh, well, I'm going to echo the last caller and thank you, Michael, for all your years. I love KQED Forum and we will miss you and hopefully carry on without you. So thank you. And I love this uh, book recommendation show as well. I'm a big reader. And I wanted to recommend um, a book that came out this year. I think you featured it, actually, called All We Can Save, Truth, Courage, and Solutions for the Climate Crisis. And it's all about um, women's climate leadership and solutions. And it mixes essays and poetry and art and many uh, women of color writers. And so a shout out for the hard work and hope and optimism and we can we can do this um so that's one of my recommendations all right and thank you uh, for the kind words and for uh, the optimism cheryl recommends 
and says, I highly recommend the debut mystery by Alameda author Daisy Bateman called Murder Goes to Market. It's set on the Sonoma coast. The writing is excellent and witty, and Daisy had me guessing to the very end. And here's Ruth who writes, uh, The Story of Moore, How We Got to Climate Change and Where to Go from Here by Hope Jaron, an award-winning scientist packed with data about the Earth's resources, how we have depleted them, and the results we must face. Very readable, illuminating, and compelling. And Beverly says, uh, a well-written crime novel is satisfying. It can be d a deep read. I recommend Henning Mankell's Wallander series. His novels are so beautifully crafted, and the development of that character takes us through so many cultural and historic contexts. As always, a good novel helps us learn about a place, culture, and ourselves. And another listener says, I find it so difficult to find books that my tween son would like to read. Any suggestions for a Laurelton reader? That's right up your street, Pamela Paul, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I mean, it really depends. Um, you know, it's a tough age, um, teenagers, because some of them really are reading, um, you know, adult fiction, and others are very much caught up in YA. And I think it helps to kind of get a sense of whether the, your uh, reader is um, someone who prefers nonfiction, who likes graphic novels, who likes um, fiction, um, or, uh, you know, realistic or fantasy fiction. So it really does kind of depend on um, the type of reader he is. And I think, one area that uh, the YA, um, uh, you know, sort of writers have been doing really well on is books around um, race and racism and political issues. So there's a lot there um, as well. And there's a lot that's been here today. Pamela Paul, thank you so much for all that you've recommended and all that you brought to us this morning. And appreciate having you with us. Thank you. Oh, always a pleasure. I'm very sad that it's the last time. So thank you and uh, congratulations to you and best of luck with your next move. Thank you for that. And thanks also to Vanessa Hua and to Tanya Foster and to you, our listeners. We would not be here without you. Also recommend a book by Julian Guthrie called Good Blood, which is a very timely book about, uh, well, the times we're in now and uh, in the pandemic. Please feel free to let us know what you think you'd like to hear on Forum or what you have enjoyed hearing. You can email us, forum at kqed.org. And please stay safe. And for all of us here at KQED, I'm Michael Krasny. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary all over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. 
New episodes of Soul to Story are available now.